Hey everyone, thanks for listening. This is the Filmed in Canada podcast. Still coming to you ad-free after all these years. I'm William Lee, and uh, Alexander is uh, taking a break this week. So instead, uh, Chris is back. Hey, Chris. Hi, William. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, today we're talking about the documentary from 2011, Pink Ribbons, Inc., directed by Leah Poole and um, based on the book by um, Dr. Samantha King. And it's about breast cancer, um, which, um, which now I, I, I feel like uh, it's going to be an ultra-serious talk, right? Because I can't... Do you think it'd be inappropriate for me to make comments like, uh, we all like boobs, so that's why we're into this movie? Or? I do like the sign at one of the rallies. I think it was in D.C. that says, uh, we treasure your chest, and they were all dressed as pirates. <laughs> that's clever. <laughs> that's more clever than I would have for a sign. And there is a, there is a fundraising uh, group that hosts a booby ball uh, annually, and they uh, do rotating cities. They're going to be doing one in Vancouver in October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and I think the venue that they secured was the Imperial. So um, I think just the phrase booby ball uh, puts a puts a smile on my face. So I think I think you can bring some levity to uh, to breast cancer in this podcast, William. You have full permission. Great. Well, <laughs> once we're done, let's go get uh, <laughs> mammographs. <laughs> Where to start? Chris, I know you take part in um, activities like organized uh, marathons, half marathons, walks, that sort of thing, yes. and and I've only I've only had uh, limited exposure to them, um, but um, I this this film kind of made me more aware how they they do seem to those kinds of events are often attached to a charity or a cause, so you you sign up for a run, uh, a 5K or whatever it is, and it's under the auspices of uh, raising charity for this kind of research or that charity. Right. right? Um, so is that that's, that's more common than not, I think. Right? Yeah, I think one of the only races that I have participated in that doesn't require a registration fee, and it's explained when you register for these races how much of your registration fee goes towards, you know, closing off roads in Vancouver, police volunteers, uh, road marshals, Gatorade, all that stuff. So the Terry Fox run is one of the only runs that you can do in Canada that does not require a registration fee to enter. Um, you can register, and of course you can fundraise, and they make it very easy for you to go on the page and send a link to your friends if they want to support you for the Terry Fox run, but you don't actually have to pay to participate in that race or run, but everything else I've participated in, there is uh, a registration fee. It's at least 35 bucks, mm -hmm. and I paid as much as... 75 for a half marathon. I bring that up just because uh, I, I think that uh, that type of event organization and charity fundraising type of uh, vehicle, it it's pretty prominent as an example in, in this film. Uh, it opens with uh, participants getting ready for, I think it's the San Francisco Walk for the Cure type of event. Yeah. 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 Um, which actually, this, this actually just, I have an aside uh, to bring to this because you mentioned the Cherry Fox Run. Uh, like when I was in when I was a young and in school, um, I guess it was I, I had an awareness of uh, Terry, the Terry Fox uh, Marathon of Hope because that was the early eighties. Am I? That's right. Okay, so he had um, so he succumbed to cancer and didn't finish his marathon. But then this and then in the subsequent years, like 
schools organized、mm-hmm. to have the Terry Fox Run、uh, in September. That's right. Yeah. And in my young impressionable days, I think I really believed that we were almost at the point of cancering,、uh, cancering, almost at the point of conquering cancer. I thought we were going to find a cure because so much of us.、Yeah. Kids,、yeah. we're、um, we're taking part in this thing, and we're getting our parents to pledge us and our relatives. It was just around the corner. How just could you a not get closer? A few more dollars,、yeah. and we're going to find the cure for、Agreed. cancer. And so,、um, what a naive notion that is. But, but maybe it's a little naive. But I did get to see Daryl Fox,、uh, Terry's brother, and Douglas Copeland、uh, at a book reading when Douglas Copeland created the book Terry.、Um, And Daryl said that if Terry was a, had been diagnosed today, he would have not lost his leg. We don't know exactly what his survival rate would be, but he actually wouldn't have lost his leg to cancer. So there have been advances,、um, but it's, it's certainly not cured. And a theme that comes up again and again in this documentary is that no money or resources are being directed to prevention. It's all just about、um, the word is all the words are very militarized: battling, surviving, fighting.、Um, but I think only three to five percent of all monies raised by the CIBC run for the cure are、um, directed towards prevention. Because、uh, I think the premise of the of this film is because it's not easily marketable to say. Do these things that might prevent getting it. It's it's rather it is kind of how to react to it, how to how to fight against it, or or I think I think the people who participate in these events, I think it is、um, it is a way of being active in support of someone else、um, it, because they they want to do something, and I I think I understand that, and I. I think that's commendable as well.、Um, <laughs> I am so conflicted about so many things in this movie, including participating in events like Run for the Cure.、Um, when one of the women from the Stage Four Breast Cancer Survivor Group in Austin, Texas, says, "You know, when I see a pink ribbon, it's the same as seeing Made in China. It means nothing to her." But for someone who's participated in the CIBC Run for the Cure and who has two friends who. In their early 40s, were diagnosed with breast cancer and are breast cancer survivors.、Um, you feel there's got to be some way to contribute. There's got to be some way to help. There's got to be some way to come together with other people who are supporting a friend or grieving. So, I have participated in the event. I've been since I saw the documentary a couple years ago. I haven't actually. Um, run again with CIBC Run for the cure, cure, but I actually have made monetary contributions for friends who are running. And again,、mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. But you feel like doing something. Like and- you, you feel so helpless when your friends are diagnosed,、yeah. and there's no way you can't always make the casserole or pick up their kids from school or you know shave their head for them or go wig shopping. You can't always do all those things, and this is just a way for you to make. Make you feel like you're doing something, because it's a pretty helpless place to be. And that seems to be where these companies are cashing it in. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so of course you feel manipulated. Yeah. But so, it's it's also you're struggling with a way to feel 
like you're doing something. Yeah, yeah. Which I think for me, like I, you know, I didn't really have a way to explain the complex feelings I have about um, charity and uh, uh, donations and all that before. Um, but I guess it, it is one of distrust. Is if, when somebody else, when a professional organization or an individual is a, is a professional fundraiser, I just feel a little bit uneasy about giving them money. Because I, I know that some of it is diverted here and some of it goes there. Some right. is skimmed off the top right. before it reaches where I want it to reach. So right. that's why I, I tend to be very selective about where I give money. Um, and so th- this, this documentary kind of reinforces my yeah. suspicions. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the commodification of disease. It makes, makes you feel kind of dirty to think that, uh, you know, someone's NFL, living large off of yeah, of, from yeah. NFL football players to vacuums, yeah. and the fact that you know, in the documentary, they say eighty-five percent of all household good, goods are purchased by women. So uh, we're the perfect target audience to put pink ribbons on everything, from you know, toilet paper to toothbrushes to you know, earmuffs and mittens. It's uh, it's big business. Okay, let's back up a bit, Chris. Okay. Uh, just um, uh, just to give uh, a base for um, what this movie is about. Um, I mentioned um, Dr. King's book. Um, so, th- so the movie explores this idea that um, corporations um, that are into um, into cause related marketing um, that is they uh, they attach their brand onto a charity brand or or a um, you know, some sort of a, um, a thing that would like pull on your, your sympathy strings is, uh, you know, something that you would, that people have like this personal attachment of, it's the right thing to do. Right. If a, if a company can attach itself to that, they're better off, their, their PR is better off for it. Um, and maybe people are kind of being duped into buying their product over another one just because of that idea that part of their money goes toward a cause they believe in. Well, if you had two Kleenex boxes in front of you, one was a pink ribbon Kleenex box and the other one wasn't, which would you choose? If there was if there was no difference in price or there was a 15 cent difference in price, you'd probably choose the pink ribbon one. You're like, well, at least something at goes. At least something goes yes. to. And yeah. then you find out further in the documentary by uh, listening to them talk about American Express and YoPlay, which were disgusting examples of just <laughs> real bullshit in how much money is going and how dare you even associate with this campaign when you're giving such an inconsequential amount. Trust me, your shareholders are still really happy. They're not losing any money at all. One cent was the American Express contribution and YoPlay was a dime. Right. I'm just disgusted by that. Yeah. The, um, the person who points it out, I, th- I think it was Barbara Brenner, um, with the uh, Breast Cancer Action San Francisco group. Yeah, I think she pointed that out. Uh, and that's, that's kind of when it, for me, the, the, the documentary really started to grind its teeth into the meat. <laughs> is to say, like, you know, there's all this energy into uh, getting you to buy this yogurt. And you have to, and you, you still have to send in the, the top to prove that you support this cause. And then the yogurt company will send 10 cents to to the charity and she says for all that effort you could just write a check to the charity and well, it, I think she it said would just if go you, along uh, go much, much if you further. ate three yogurts a day for the entire 
Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which is October, it would end up being, what, $14.75 or something crazy? Yeah. Uh, just write a check. Yeah. Uh, there's other uh, other big brands uh, are kind of um, touched upon that that do this thing where they attach themselves to the pink ribbon cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ford Motors, KFC, and some other ones. And Avon, Estee yes. Lauder. Oh, well, okay. So Avon, they said that it's one of the Avon and the Susan G. Komen Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the right name for their organization. But they're the two biggest organizations, um, fundraising outfits that give money to right. the breast cancer cause. Mm-hmm. Um, Avon, I think, is, is we didn't get too much into it. I think I think there's a representative from Avon who speaks. I believe so, yeah. yeah. But um, a company that makes products for women, and so they contribute back to this cause, which uh, the, toward uh, fighting this disease that only afflicts women. Seems to make sense. Seems to have like sure. that sort of that, that coalescence of like uh, of uh, taking and giving to the community. Right. But there's that hypocrisy of like their their products could be contributing to to cancer as well. I think yeah. that that irony um, is really uh, driven home by the documentary. Um, Along with the YoPlay using the um, bovine growth hormone in the yogurt, an email campaign really did. As, get Yoplay to stop using what is known as a uh, things that have hormones in them accelerate breast cancer. So things that have estrogen in them and uh, this bovine hormone growth thing that was in the yogurt um, was almost an accelerant um, for estrogen that would that could contribute to breast cancer. So they did remove it after an email campaign. Which makes it seem like it is just ignorance on the part of these of these companies that that their products are contributing to the problem. Like, it, like someone really has to point that out through a grassroots campaign. I just find that surprising. You've got all that R and D. You spend tens of millions of dollars a year on R and D, and no one has made that association. Or is it more like a, a fight club thing where, well, we know that ten percent of people that use Estee Lauder are going to get cancer because of the carcinogens in our products. But we feel like that's a worthwhile risk. I think it's just something that those companies aren't concerned about until someone is aware of it. Right. And so if they could, and so just for their, just for their public image, if they can, if they are seen as giving back to these causes or that community, it just seems uh, they should be in the good books. And no one will notice that, uh, or people will turn a blind eye to the fact that they're a bit careless in, in what they manufacture. Right. right? Um, there's also the point in the film about how it's under, it seems to be um, that these companies have created their ideal target uh, in terms of uh, who is buying their products and who would respond to their association with the... Do you mean middle-class white women? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought it was an interesting idea where... Where the critics say this is kind of dressed up as uh, as a white woman's disease, like um, which which made me think about why why the fight, uh, so to speak, against uh, against obesity isn't a sexy fight, right? Right. Yeah, uh, because that's uh, that's a poor person's disease. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, they've done everything they can to make this a very genteel thing. And, you know, changing the color of the ribbon 
from peach to pink. Uh, and I love the fact that, um, was her name? Charlotte, Charlotte Haley created the peach colored ribbon, uh, as a grassroots campaign. And it wasn't about, um, awareness as much as it was a demand for prevention and greater accountability for government agencies to, to recognize, um, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, I think it was great that they found Charlotte. Haley as well, like oh, so, yeah. who made uh, who who created this this ribbon campaign. She handmade her ribbons, and and essentially the um, the breast cancer charity industry kind of stole her idea and made the pink ribbon. Yeah, Self yeah. Magazine approached her and said, "Can we uh, use your ribbon?" And she said, "No," because she said it was Self and Estee Lauder were too corporate and too commercial, and she still believed in her grassroots campaign. So she said no. And then Self's uh, legal department decided that if they changed the color, they wouldn't have to say that Charlotte Haley had created that ribbon. So they ended up co-opting the ribbon and changing the color and made it theirs. They stole it. They stole it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now it's, and, and the pink ribbon is now like one of the most um, recognizable kind of charity brands that there is. So Susan G. Komen, um, Susan G. Komen for the Cure is actually the name of the organization currently. So they have like a stylized pink ribbon as their logo. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the filmmakers got her on camera because mm-hmm. it kind of seems like she's sincere about what she's doing. Yeah, I mean, she lost her sister to breast cancer yeah. and that's what got her you know, motivated in the first place. But there's a certain, <laughs> there's a certain dismissal of anyone that's not her type of woman. I mean, she's a lady that lunches. You just see the privilege and the entitlement and the... she's and the, the Botox. Sort of, and the Botox. And she's the sort of person that would say, you can beat this. Yeah. If you just live a, a healthier lifestyle and you start doing this, you can beat it. And that makes everyone feel like a failure when they die from it. I think she's just that sort of sunny, empty, wealthy white person that I feel like she feels like she's being sincere, but I don't think she sees what it's like to be a person of color dealing with this or a low income person dealing with this. Well, she's also a person who doesn't know what it is like to be diagnosed and dealing with it. That's right. Yeah. Um, Yes, she did um, see the effects that it had on her sister. Right. Um, But um, you know, I, you know, I don't want to downplay that, but that's not the same as as being a person who has to fight it. To, to tell other people you fight it is different. And, and yeah, and uh, there was that there was that clip where she's giving the opening speech to an event, uh, and she says, "Breast cancer has no borders, and we're gonna we're gonna take this fight to their doors." It in and uh, I forget what year that was uh, that that clip was from, but wow, I was just so shocked that it sounded like um, George W. Bush era yeah. political rhetoric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of elements that are militarized around this, like we said, battle survivor fighting, um, which isn't really um, which is a more muscular way to think about a disease than would generally be thought of for women in my opinion. Um, (laughs) I was doing a little research for this documentary and McLean's in February, 2012, the day after this documentary was released, um, 
it looks like the Susan G. Komen uh, for the Cure Foundation had to had a big PR disaster. They decided to pull funding for Planned Parenthood. So that's I think that's why I have a beef against the Susan G. Komen chairperson, uh, her sister, because that's the sort of thing. If you're going to pull funding for the Planned Parenthood, how do you expect low-income women to have reproductive care and early detection mammograms? They're living in a country where they don't get to have free mammograms like I do. So you take funding away from Planned Parenthood. The whole thing blew up in their faces, and um, uh, Senator Barbara Boxer and her colleague started uh, withdrawing support for the Susan G. Komen Foundation for the Cure because of that. So it it just feels like a white, middle-class approach to this disease, which I'm uncomfortable with. Um, we've been talking a little bit, uh, we've been talking a lot about um, the things that the documentary uncovers uh, or, or points out that, that really gets you riled up. Right. And uh, um, and I guess viewers can discover that for themselves. Uh, they can and they can discover if they agree with those sentiments or not. Um, but I, I I'm glad that this movie had women who were plainly angry. Oh, wasn't that fantastic? Yeah. Yeah. It felt like other documentaries I've watched, uh, like the PBS Maker series about the feminist movement, or there's a documentary on Netflix called uh, She's Beautiful When She's Angry about um, early feminist activism. Hmm. And that's what all these smart, feisty talking heads, uh, that's what it felt like to me. It just made me feel very inspired about about activism and that they're not taking any bullshit and they are angry and indignant. Um one of them talks about the tyranny of cheerfulness. <laughs> it's pretty and feminine, and uh, you're supposed to be optimistic and hopeful. You just don't see that kind of feeling around prostate cancer. So when Movember happens and men grow mustaches to bring awareness to prostate cancer, I feel like it doesn't have to have the same soft gentility that... Breast Cancer Awareness Month has to have because we're pink and cheerful and optimistic and gosh darn it, we're going to beat this thing because we're ladies and we're super positive. The tyranny of cheerfulness. So, mm -hmm. But don't you think any of these fundraising events, uh, these big causes, these organized causes, don't you think they require people to be upbeat? Though even the, Mo even the Movember thing, it's, it's at the very least, it is goofy. To say, like, it's playful. Just, you know, just grow your hair, grow Absolutely. your facial hair. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really do anything about prostate cancer, but you know, everyone has, an, but guys have an excuse to grow it out. I just, you know, that whole thing, that that movement, I just find kind of trivial. I I just don't care for it. The same with, um, I think there's an annual bike ride event. Um, I think you, so I think they cycle for the cure to something. But yeah, I think they they cycle from here to Seattle. Yeah, it is. Uh, that's a feat to to do that <laughs> trek. Yeah, but I I personally don't think those riders are are doing anything to directly impact the research for cancer. They signed up for a biking event. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's just, um, you have to dress these things up so that it's fun to participate in it. Right. You know, or even if, even if you are like personally afflicted by cancer, at least you're at an event with people who have, uh, who are full of joy for this moment and you're, right. and, and 
there's that support. You're part of a community. You're walking together, you're cycling together, whatever it is. And maybe it's just um, that outlet of, of goodwill that people need uh, if, if they're facing this, either personally or, or for a loved one. The, the filmmakers probably didn't plan on the weather being as it was when they were filming that, that San Francisco event. But it just, it just seemed to really kind of fit this, uh, this, these mixed emotions that I was feeling about uh, these events when after, after these women had done their march and you can see that they're kind of spent and they have to get their feet massaged, the rain clouds are coming in and they go to their, the field where they have tents, uh, little yeah. pup tents yeah. and it's getting cold. And again, it's just like, it was such a, such a stark contrast from the earlier part of the movie. Yeah, where they're wrapped in space blankets and they look kind of sore and miserable. And yeah. It, <laughs> so, um, and by that, by then too, I think the, the, the feeling of the movie is you're, you're questioning, is all this effort really achieving anything? And, you see all these uh, these participants in this race who are just tired at the end. So I, I don't know if that could have, uh, you know, visually been portrayed um, in a more poetically ironic way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to say anything else about like sort of the the filmmaking of it, uh, how it's put together? Um, I always I always find these sorts of films interesting because there's still there's also a skill in in taking a work which is which is largely scientific mm-hmm. and presenting it um, to a mass audience in a way that that makes sense, right? right? So I think uh, I think documentarians who uh, pull that off, um, you know, really deserve uh, some credit. I would say that the information in this movie comes kind of fast and furious. It comes fast and furious, but I don't feel like it's weighted. Um, I think. Wherever you're coming from, I think you'll feel um, that it speaks to your values. If you are sort of a little more anti-corporate or you're questioning where money goes for charities. But I think they give a very, she gave a very balanced look at, you know, peppering her talk, her very smart talking heads who are sort of anti-corporate with the people who are very earnestly trying to bring awareness and research money to this disease, whether it's the Avon person or Susan Komen's sister or Estee Lauder. If this was more uh, a more um, biased constructed, sorry, if this if this film was more biasly uh, nakedly biased mm-hmm. about its perspective, these are people that you would say represent the bad guys, the villains of the piece. Right. But I'm glad that they get a chance to, to be on camera. And even if they're just spouting the corporate line or, or they tell a flat out lie, um, like the, uh, the rep from Ford, um, <laughs> at least they have a chance to do that. Right. Um, and, um, I think that's, I, I think credit goes to the, uh, the filmmakers, uh, Leah Poole and, uh, and her producers. Um, for setting up those those types of meetings, because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of documentaries these days that come from people's personal bias or personal experiences, right. and you don't get a lot of those interviews. As far as they get, sometimes is uh, is their interview subject feeling ambushed and saying like, "Well, this interview is over. I'm I'm leaving." Right. Um, and no one had a chance to get defensive in this documentary because mm-hmm. the filmmakers aren't putting them in the hot seat. They're saying, tell us where you're coming from. Tell us about your foundation. Tell us about your products. Tell us about, you know, your 
drive to turn Niagara Falls pink for 24 hours. But it isn't about ambushing them or making them defensive, and that's why it felt very fair to me. Yeah, and I think also it, it feels like it's coming... From, it, it's uh, it's in the hands of a mature filmmaker, I, right. I think is maybe what I was trying to say. Leah Poole, um, she's been, she was, she's born in Switzerland, but seems like she works primarily out of Canada. Um, and she's like looking at her filmography on IMDb. She's, she's got a movie as early as 1980, um, out of Quebec. Um, and have you seen many of her movies? No, I haven't seen any of her movies. Oh, okay. Cause some of them I remember appeared on like the CBC late night slot uh, oh, some okay. years ago. Because some they had nudity? Ago. Yes, especially. They were side boob? Especially, uh, Mouvement du Désir. Oh, yeah. Oh, filthy. <laughs> but she did, um, she also did, uh, Import Moi or Set Me Free from 1999. Um, do you remember Lost and, Lost and Delirious from I 2001? Do. Yep, yeah, I do. So she's, um, I like that, you know, she often tells, um, women's stories or, or at least stories from a women's perspective and, you know, and just primarily female. And that's what counts. was nice too is all the smart talking heads, uh, were ladies. <laughs> um, we didn't have a lot of gentlemen in that documentary. The gentleman from Avon, I can't think of anyone else off the top of my head. There was one of the, uh, the co-scientists, uh, the husband. Right. Yes. Half of, uh, of one right. science team. Yeah. yeah. But it was nice to see that many, you know, smart lady talking heads in a documentary as well about a disease that primarily only women get. Do you think, do you think men don't care about this disease? You tell me. <laughs> well, I can definitely say I like boobs. <laughs> yeah. That's not, a, that's not appropriate. I should, <laughs> I should cut that out. No. <laughs> Okay, we're going to wrap it up. Um, was there anything else you wanted to say about... Oh, <laughs> uh, what did you think of the footage of Lorreen Harper on Parliament Hill? I think she's a robot. Do you think she's a robot? Uh, there, the 90s were kind of uh, heavy on very stiff politicians. Yeah. 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 You know, it'd be interesting if if someone was going to do... You know how we have Dinner en Blanc in Vancouver, and then we have uh, another event that's Sissoir en Noir, so it's like an anti-Dinner en Blanc event. What if we had a run for the cure that was sort of put through the filter of feminists? Like if, if people, you know, like Ms. Magazine meets Bust Magazine meets Bitch Magazine. What if this kind of female-centric event was run by people who weren't in bed with large corporations? What if it became more of a grassroots thing? I know it's hard to support these kind of events without corporate sponsorship, but I'm intrigued after watching this documentary for the second time. What if we, like the pink hat campaign that we had, or pink um, toque campaign, what if we got together as women and did this without corporate sponsorship? And then it just wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel so divided about it. I think, I think it just falls down at the marketing advertising level is you right. just need to get the word out. You need big bucks and nobody will give you, nobody will give you, no companies will give you the big bucks unless it's in their interest. Right. So I think that's probably the stumbling block for a lot of. But is CIBC trends. matching things or are they orchestrating? Are they coordinating? But it's like the Yoplait, the Yoplait yogurt right. example. 
uh, I mean, are you satisfied that $15 was sent in your name? Or would you rather write a check for $50? Right. Right. Like if people organized and they selected a secured, uh, a charity or a select research outfit or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever the, th- like a, like being very targeted and narrow and specific. That's the thing that we want to give some money to. We believe in, in that cause. What if you rounded up 200 people and you all wrote uh, $50 checks and you didn't have to, block off streets to do a cycling event and you didn't have to have right. matching outfits and you didn't have to do the advertising. Right. Um, that would be more direct. And I think I kind of feel like that's, that's sort of the unspoken message of the movie um, that I forget who we, uh, who we last heard from at the end of the movie, but she says, you know, there's, there's, there's individual power to be had and we're not exercising that. I think we're, I think we're looking for an organized, easier way, a prepackaged, reaction uh, or action that we could take part in rather than identifying what the thing is that we can do to make a difference. Right. Um, and I think because charities are business, I guess that's just, that's just how it is. We need someone to, to show us the way and, uh, and a lot gets skimmed off the top on the way. Well, for example, Vancouver's hosting a truth and reconciliation walk and it starts at the corner of uh, Hamilton and Georgia so they're blocking off city streets. They're blocking off the George Street Viaduct. When someone does a large-scale event like that, which is more of a community-building event than a than a charity, who pays for all of that? Like, that I guess was- I'm just wondering: is there a way again that we can, you know, come together as a community and have events like a Run for the Cure, but without saying that Toyota brought this event to us or Telus or Starbucks. The the example of the re- reconciliation walk isn't that a city initiative? It's a city initiative. It is a city. Is the city organizing that, or is it? Well, if you're the city, it doesn't take much more to to say the street is closed today. Okay, so th- then they coordinate the permits and they get the police officers to volunteer and probably not volunteer. I'm sure there's money okay. being paid out for for services, but but in terms of getting permission. Um, you give yourself permission if, if I'm understanding that event properly. That's different from your, your mobile provider doing a, uh, doing a, an event, right? They have to pay for the street closure. And so they won't do it unless it's in their interest, unless uh, they can potentially get a couple hundred thousand people signing up for their plan, right? Right. Yeah. So it's about visibility of your brand. Right. I'm not sure where the profit motive is with an event like that, the the Truth and Reconciliation movement. I'm just trying to think of another type of event that doesn't require corporate sponsorship. Even if it was the children's hospital, that's about money going to the children's hospital. That's so right. Everybody wants something. Yeah. Money, that is. Everyone wants money. Speaking of money, I just I wanted to point out, um, this movie was produced and distributed by the NFB, National Film Board of Canada. And I didn't notice this until... Um, until this movie, but there is a paywall component to the NFB website, and this movie is behind it. So if you want to watch uh, Pink Ribbons, Inc. on the NFB website, you can rent it for $3, super affordable. Wow. You yeah. won't miss $3. Yeah. Good $3 to spend. Or you could you could own it for, I think it's like $10, um, and you can get uh, an institutional license if your institution wants to screen it for the public. I think you and I watched it on Netflix. We did. Um, the first time I saw it um, was actually at the Vancouver Public Library. Uh, they were doing uh, a free screening as part of their 
documentary film series. And so uh, my friend and I, who is a breast cancer survivor, we came to the library and saw it for free. And it was mostly women in the audience, but it was pretty good turnout. There was probably between 80 and 100 people coming to uh, attend this free screening. Not breast cancer screening, breast cancer movie screening, just so you know. (laughs) Good distinction. Yeah. Well, one, uh, according to the documentary, uh, once every 23 seconds, someone is diagnosed with breast cancer in the world. Isn't that just stunning? It is. Those those kinds of numbers are always a little bit sobering. Yeah, and I, don't you know, I don't know anyone who's not touched by breast cancer. Yeah. Um, I'd have to rack my mind to uh, to think of who in my... Really? Yeah. Jeez, I, lost, I think I, I, I think lost I two do. co-workers in one year. Wow. And then my two girlfriends were diagnosed within eight months of each other. And then one of the girls' mother was also diagnosed with breast cancer. So I just feel like it's uh, it's around, and I work in a place that is predominantly women, so I know a lot of breast cancer survivors uh, in my workplace as well. Well, listeners, uh, you should do yourself a favor and check out this movie um, for yourself, for the women in your lives. And don't forget to give yourself uh, breast self-exams. Uh, that's... <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking of there's that that Australian film that played <laughs> that there's an Australian oh. PSA that played in this movie <laughs> and that was I couldn't believe uh what that um <laughs> Sorry. That was pretty fantastic that uh, that PSA. Yes, it was, it was about self-examinations for for, <laughs> for breast cancer. The the Australians have a, a like a really um muscular sense of humor yeah it's pretty cheeky i found that uh, psa pretty pretty yeah. hilarious and pretty cheeky <laughs> <laughs> all right well okay we're gonna leave it there well thanks for talking about pink ribbons inc with me chris uh, before we let listeners go away, uh, who's over here? It's Alexander. Hi, Alexander. Howdy. What's going on? We were just talking about pink ribbons, Zinc. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are you for or against pink ribbons? I'm, I'm, I'm typically for any kind of ribbon, but uh, now I have to reconsider my stance on pink. Chris? Uh, conflicted. Okay. Yeah. Pink seems tainted now after, uh, after what I discovered about Pink Ribbons. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Pink Ribbons is it was it's a movie by um, directed by Leah Poole, mm-hmm. and she's got a movie at the upcoming Vancouver International Film Festival. What? Yeah. And I uh, anyway, that's that's something I might uh, try to check out when the fest comes around. Um, so the three of us are going to be covering the Vancouver International Film Festival. Hooray! Yay! Last year was just two of us. Now it's three of us. Very Chris exciting. Is on board. Yeah. That means that means three times. No, I guess it's it's like fifty percent more compared to last time. Is fifty percent more Canadian coverage? There's <laughs> fifty percent more likelihood that we will discover many infinite leaf rated movies. Maybe if we continue Possibly. with that rating system. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So more more Canadian movies to talk about. More Canadian griping about lineups. More. I don't know uh, that we did much lineup griping. We didn't. Well, so. maybe just maybe off air. We didn't. We didn't have to even sit in the lineups because we we're in the fucking media zone. <laughs> well, I went to a movie with William last year for the film fest, and I had to line up. So I can be indignant on behalf of everybody else that does have to line up. All right. Okay. We can. Uh, we'll have more comments about uh, Canadian uh, passive aggressiveness when <laughs> when people uh, behave inappropriately during movies. Mm. Yeah. I would say I'm more like active aggressive about that kind of thing, and you definitely are too. <laughs> Thinking back to uh, the lobster in what 2015. Right. Well, um, I don't. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to encourage um, bad behavior all around. But I, I, I think people do have to, you know, make it known when other people are, are impacting their enjoyment of something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that's neither here nor there. We're just going to be enjoying the festival. Um, but before we get to the next to 2017 festival, Alexander, a year ago we saw a bunch of movies that made an impression on us or didn't. Uh, there were some things that were touted as uh, like a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought we'd uh, just have a recollection about what happened to those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, that animated feature from uh, the Red Turtle? No, um, Window Horses. Window Horses. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say, what was her name? Anne-Marie Fleming. Anne-Marie right? Fleming. Anne-Marie Fleming's feature, Window Horses. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a big award winner last year, and it got a big release. Uh, well, a big Canadian release. Yeah. I didn't notice if it made any waves internationally or, or, or in the U.S. Uh, I've, I've actually I've been following their Twitter account for a while, and it seems like they're still making it to different festivals and getting, getting distribution in different regions. So I think they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a... There was a little Ontario horror movie that I liked called Lavender, and um, I was hoping that would get a uh, some sort of a general release or or appear on Netflix or something like that. Um, it played at one theater in town at the end of November, and I think it closed maybe before its one week run. <laughs> so yeah, that sounds was, about right. That's that was kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't think of any other Canadian movies that I saw that really got any distribution beyond. The festival, mm-hmm. but I might be wrong on that. Into the Forest, was that last year? No, that was two years ago. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Right. What about the film that we saw, the Inuit movie? Malignant? Yeah. Is that, I the think Searchers. I, I, think Did, I don't recall it opening at Tinseltown or anywhere else. No. Maybe a day or two at the Van City Theater. Oh, okay. But that's probably just part of their mandate that they have to do. <laughs> right. I, from what I've heard, they don't get a very good turnout for the Canadian films that they show there. So, mm-hmm. so I, I bring that up just to say, um, like it, it does. It does seem like film festivals, like the VIF or TIFF, it does seem like they are still um, useful for film lovers as a way to catch movies that you you don't see anywhere else. Like even with the abundance of 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 streaming and, and uh, on-demand types of resources, it doesn't seem like um, like small movies, independent movies, uh, that they are reaching the, those audiences still. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, Tony Erdman did well, though. It did, yeah. 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 That was a good movie. And now it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in the mood for a three-hour German comedy, and now I know that uh, I can watch it from home. You honestly don't even need to be in the mood for it. It's just such a pleasing movie. Okay. Like it, it feels like I, I remember going into it thinking like, oh god, what the fuck am I getting myself into? But 
it's just immediately charming and and approachable and okay it's so good will do yeah but we're talking about 2017 or we're in 2017 now yeah, so yeah so uh, we're getting ready for this next festival mm-hmm. um anything for chris anything popped out from the program for you right now well given the last couple episodes that you guys have done um the female director uh alanis obamsawin who did the the 270 years of resistance sorry i'm going to mispronounce Ka- it thank you yeah. uh she has her 50th documentary premiering at VIF, and I'm very excited about that. It's about Cree children. Um, so that is on my list of must-sees. And uh, William and I had talked about Pink Ribbon, Inc., so I definitely want to see the new Leia Poole um, movie, Worst Case, We're Married, as well. And uh, some local Vancouver stuff that I'm quite interested in as cool. well. So it seems like I'm sticking mostly in BC and doing women in First Nations. Uh, I'm not doing any American movies because America's making me sick now so I just don't I don't want to encourage them <laughs> and uh, I'm just I'm kind of just interested in some novel storytelling I don't think I want to see any European movies I think I'm just going to stick in Canada for this year I feel like if you were going to go with one American one though it would be Wonderstruck the Todd Haynes I love Todd Haynes movies I've yeah. seen every one of his movies I love them but you know it's going to get a theatrical so I can see it at Tin Town uh, two months from now. Maybe you can see it for free today or in a few weeks. <laughs> That's a, that is a good point. That is a good point. Okay. Perhaps. It's Julianne Moore. I love her. Yeah. Oh, and you guys and have also talked about Double Happiness, and Meditation Park yeah. is also um, the uh, opener of the yes, VIF. Yes, uh, Mina Shum's new movie. And that's, mm-hmm. yeah, you're, like you said, the opener. So wouldn't it be interesting to see how, you know, from 94 to 2017, uh, same leading actress. Yeah. Uh, same director. I, I'd be same very city. curious. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see how that all comes uh, comes to pass. Mm-hmm. Could be could be interesting uh, bookends. Mm-hmm. Are you going to go to that? Uh, yes, I'd like to. Okay. Yeah. Chris, I found I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to get Mina for our show. Oh, I'm really shy. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I can. I'll, I'll accept the challenge. Okay. <laughs> I will accept the challenge. Um, how about you, William? What's um, going on? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to see some of the British Columbia movies because um, often they're like first timers, or uh, a lot of the time it's their first, their only chance that they'll make a movie. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe not limited to BC, but uh, I think with Canadian filmmakers, uh, I try to catch one or two of the uh, of the first timers. Um, but I do. It's just when I select movies, I guess I'm drawn to the ones that have a cast member I I recognize or or, or director I recognize. So that's just a a, a prejudice of mine, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there something that stuck out for me? One that I might try to check out is Public Schooled, uh, directed by Kevin Rideout. Now, have you have you seen Have you had a chance to see Edward? No. No, because um, oh, was, Ed Weird, Ed, Ed, well, it's Edward, like an <laughs> Edward Moybridge. Yeah, yeah. Right? But uh, that was his first feature that uh, he made independently, um, like a year or two ago, and it just—it was this weird thing where I, I kept seeing posters of it, um, but the screenings were really limited. Like it'd be out at UBC, mm. oh, uh, or or just like one night at the Vith, uh, right. Vancouver uh, International Film Center or something. Like that. It was it just it was hard to get to it except I kept seeing posters for it so I never got a chance to see Edward 
but uh, anyway, but so, he, so now he has a second movie, so maybe I'll, I'll have a have better luck catching it. His name sounds familiar. Do you think he works for the CBC? Kyle Rideout. Somebody Rideout works for the I CBC. Okay. It's a name that I hear when I'm in the car. Are you going to see any short film? Any of the short film programs? I want to try to see at least one of the Canadian short film programs. Okay. Yeah, uh, former guests. Devin Scott and Will Ross do have a short Ooh. playing in the festival this year. Oh, um, is that right? By the title of The Martyr, and it is actually the feature image for the short section in the program. Wow. Is from their short. So Well done, those two. Yeah. That's great. Um, and then I know we have, um, we have uh, attempted and failed to get... Um, another filmmaker on the podcast uh, i am just looking for her name um anyway this is just dead air but uh, but yeah uh, devin and will's short the martyr is playing in the left to their own devices program playing on tuesday october 3rd and tuesday october 10th um, I've seen a, a, an earlier cut of it, and it is uh, interesting stuff. So fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the shorts programs last year were actually really good. So the timing is a little tough. I yeah, find, for the, right? to, to try and fit it in. I think it's three fifteen and nine fifteen, which neither one is a perfect fit for my schedule. Oh but. yeah. For myself, I was. Focusing kind of like I was last year on the Future Present program, which um, is curated by a, a guy from Vancouver, Adam Cook, and it's all kind of emerging filmmakers. Um, Sophia Bodonowitz, who um, had, um, what was it called last year? Never Eat Alone. That played the festival last year, and it and it took one of the awards. I can't remember exactly which one. It might it might have been, um, yeah, it was the Emerging Canadian Director Award that she won last year, and she's she's back again in this year's program with another kind of quasi documentary, quasi fiction narrative. Um, and then uh, Corey Bowles's Black Cop looks really interesting. Uh, Corey Bowles of Trailer Park Boys fame, now a, uh, a director in his own right, and tackling some challenging issues in the guise of uh, police brutality and um, looks like an interesting one. I think after watching the Emmys on Sunday, it makes me realize how movies aren't very diverse and television mm. is a nice, is, is actually getting so diverse now, whether it's queer, color, female directors. So yeah. I think it's nice when you have a chance to see movies at the VIF that you get a lot more diversity than you're going to get the rest of the year. I mean, this is this is your 14 days to see things from from emerging filmmakers, from yeah. people of color, narratives that you may not have been uh that may, you may not have been exposed to before because uh movies are really just pretty <laughs> pretty generic these days. Hopefully Hollywood is maybe Moving in the right direction there. The, the, the Academy did uh, nominate a bunch of new people to be voting members last year, and most of them were were women and people of color. And then Moonlight winning last year. 
It definitely helps. It definitely yeah. helps. Although they kind of didn't win and then won. That's, yeah. that's almost indicative of, of you know, how We expect how the white thing to win, are, right? So it surprised treated. everyone that... Um, that Moonlight won. Yeah, so. Jay Z has a has an interesting song on his new album. It's called Moonlight, and and the lyrics go like, "We're stuck in La La Land. Even when we win, we're gonna lose." <laughs> and like it just kind of is a commentary on that whole thing. The music video is actually really interesting too. It's it's like basically just a shot for shot remake of a scene from Friends, but with all black actors. Oh, really? And then they, and they reshoot the um, the credit sequence and stuff, too. It's, oh, that sounds fun. It's quite well done. But anyway, hopefully Hollywood's making some some moves in the right direction there. But as you say, festival's a good place to, to find some of that stuff. Yeah, just so. hear some new voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Chris mentioned she's not seeing anything non-Canadian. <laughs> what, what about... Um, well, not about the any, podcast, right? But I think yeah. you're, you're going to you just watch what you feel like watching. Yeah, well, I'm focusing mostly really on Canada. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything else that caught your eye, William? Oh, actually, f- uh, sorry, on the Canadian side of things, uh, there's a special presentation of The Green Fog, which is... Yeah, William is, was talking um, about that yesterday. Um, Guy Madden and uh, his now, I guess, just co-directors, Evan Johnson and Galen Johnson, their new, their new project, uh, which kind of reimagines... Um, Vertigo? Vertigo, yeah. And um, with live music by the Kronos Quartet, so that would be very interesting. Sounds and like an awesome certainly, show. I assume nothing like Vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> now this is uh, so. This is a screening with live music. I wonder if uh, there's going to be just like a regular version of it released to theaters. So yeah, yeah. Because this one is a, it's a special ticketed event. You got to buy a separate ticket for it. Hopefully, it's not the only way to see this movie. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, anyway, I like uh, I like seeing new new guy Madden efforts. Hmm. Um, and then yeah, I mentioned Wonderstruck, the Todd Haynes, but um, I think back in 2014, the my favorite thing that I saw at the festival was Force Majeure by uh, Ruben Osland, and he's got a yeah. new one called The Square, and mm-hmm. it has something to do with a performance artist, kind of putting on this elaborate performance i guess for lack of a better word um and it won they i think the grand prix whatever that whatever the top prize at can is uh that looks really interesting and actually elizabeth moss has a has a part in it despite it being a, a, is it danish or is he a danish i think, I think so he's not swiss no he's, he's definitely scandinavian of some mm, variety okay. right. um chris what happened when you uh, bought tickets to his movie I got corrected by the staff at the Van City Theater. Uh, Paul, uh, big fan of the show, was buying the tickets, and he said two for force majeure, and the person in the ticket booth at Van City said it's force mayor. Okay. So, anyways, I don't know, I don't think adults love being corrected. Um, I'm not sure that was necessary, but anyway, so now we know going forward that it's one person's opinion is that it's force mayor. Okay. I suppose that could be the Danish or whatever other language sure. he speaks pronunciation. <laughs> it was it. a fantastic movie. Yeah, oh, it's so good. Um, and it has that sort of Michael Haneke, Thomas Vinterberg, Lars von Trier discomfort to it that I just find so Scandinavian yeah. and yeah, yeah, awful yeah. and fantastic. So. Yeah, no, I, that, that, I found that with basically any 
Scandinavian movie I've seen yeah, is too. there's just a level of uncomfort, uncomfort yeah. whether it's a com- comedy or drama. Yeah. There's just unsettling things going yes. on all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think those are those are the those are the big non-Canadian ones that I was looking forward to. Mm-hmm. So uh, we will try to increase our frequency of postings uh, over the next two weeks uh, to give you updates. Um, I don't know if you guys are into um, contributing any written content, but uh, if we compile some of those like short reviews, uh, we'll also post those on our website, filmsincanada.net. And are we tweeting during this thing? I will. Uh, I will attempt to tweet. Okay. Happy festival. <laughs> All right. Yay, fest of us. <laughs> A festivus for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.